0: And and, uh, I hope um, uh, you've missed uh, me as much as I've missed you. Um, I know you all remember exactly where we were in our study of the Book of Romans, and so let's just pick up and go from there. Uh, We won't do that. In fact, I want to start uh, with a couple of uh, just introductory comments um, concerning Bible study. Uh, Why have we come to study the Bible? Um, what what is it that we're supposed to be accomplishing here? What to, what to benefit uh, is it from studying the Bible? Well, guys, there's a couple of things that I want to mention. Uh, there is a great pressure on um, on the evangelical preachers these days to the, the pressure is for relevance. You know, you've got to be relevant. You've got to you know that's that's kind of the uh, the buzzword. Uh, you know what's so you, you, you start talking about everything that is um, important to the individual consumer, like family, and, and, and of course, guys, family is an important thing. You talk about um, uh, how to handle stress, and uh, you, you talk about um, um, what, how, do you, how you manage uh, your time, and uh, you know, we had one guy on the staff go to a Bible study just recently, and the the uh, The whole thing was uh, the, the speaker pulled out his daytimer and, and uh, talked about how a Christian is to approach his daytimer, and, and you know again, those all have places uh, the The issue though of course is relevance you 've got to be relevant and, and then right under relevance you 've got to have some kind of application and, and, and application is a wonderful thing i 'm not trying to demean those, but guys th- there is something even more important than being relevant, I think, and even application and, and that 's what i 'd like to just mention as we resume our study of Romans chapter 8 here's here's the um, uh, guys I love to say it like this but I'm not sure people understand it when I say it like this and and, uh, of course to connect with your audience is is really important you know Uh, if I speak and you don't hear uh, you know I haven't done very much uh, by way of love you know Love means that the, the, the message has got to be conveyed in such a way that people can understand it. But why do, why do we want to know the Bible and what it says? Well, primarily, ladies and gentlemen, uh, or not primarily, but it, it important is that truth is the stuff that helps us integrate with reality. And that's, not, that's the, the, the clause that I'm not sure that communicates. Truth is the stuff that helps us integrate with reality gang we we're living in in a, a i mean everybody's got a real life you know you got one i got one they all got different details they all got different stresses and strains but what is it that allows us to cope with reality and and rightly interpret it it's truth you know guys um when you when you do funerals uh, and i i do my share i i probably don't do as many as some because this is a fairly young congregation but when you do funerals um, particularly when they're tragic ones you hear this comment all the time. You hear things like, I don't know how non-Christians handle uh, situations like these. And, you know, that's, that's true. I don't know what they think. I don't know how they integrate with the reality that, they, that's, that they're confronted with. There is tragedy in, in their midst. How do you think it through? Well, it's truth, ladies and gentlemen, that helps us integrate with reality. And, and by so doing, we can maintain a modicum of sanity. Um, so, primarily, the reason we study, guys, whether I apply it or whether it's relevant, really isn't the issue. It is truth that helps us integrate with reality, to interface with reality. You have reality that you face. How do you, how do you, how do you cope with it? Because, you know, it's pretty complex, is it not? Well, it's truth. Truth, guys, that helps you integrate with... The other thing that I would mention that's related to that is that ideas have consequences. If you, are, if you are in possession of things that are false, it will invariably show up in some kind of mistake in your life. By the way, I mean, there's enough mistakes that we make and we have the truth. You know, we we choose wrongly and we know we shouldn't have chosen the way we chose. But we, but I, you know, the class, the, the illustration that, I, that comes to my mind is, you know, back in 9-11 uh, when the terrorists uh, hit uh, all these places in the country. And, you know, it came to light um, that each one of those martyrs were promised. And ladies and gentlemen, this is not... This is not uh, editorial hype. This is, this, is a, this is a fundamental promise of martyrdom for the, the Muslim. I forget the number, but that he is going to be rewarded with 71 virgins, you know, in, in, in this paradise that he gets. Well, you know, there's an idea, you know, and, and uh, for some it has a fair degree of winsomeness, does it not? Well, that idea led to a certain behavior that was absolutely catastrophic. Because ideas have consequences. What you think matters, ladies and gentlemen. How you, how you wrestle and what the, the, the truth system that, that lies underneath you really makes a difference. So because truth is the stuff that helps you integrate with reality and the ideas that you possess... Uh, will ultimately have consequences. That's why we study the Bible. That's why it's so urgent that we know what God did say and what is truth and and on and on I could go. But ultimately, ladies and gentlemen, this is not time spent in a religious thing. This is time trying to discover what is the truth that will help me sort out reality and integrate with it properly. That's why we study. That's why you have Bible studies. I mean, you go to three or four of them a week, I guess, you know, and, and uh, God bless you. <laughs> but Guys, that's why this is important. Because your life is built on a truth system. You believe certain things. And as you, as, because you do believe certain things, you act in certain ways. All of us do. And, and if we believe things that are not true, we're going to act wrongly. And so what we've what we come to do now is submit our minds and yield all over again to what God has said. And so that we can help sort it out again and, and you know, get it right or get it better. <laughs> I don't know that we're ever going to get it right. But we're going to move towards that place where we are properly and adequately and appropriately uh, integrating with the uh, demands and the stresses and the strains of reality. That's how we study the Bible. Uh, because we believe between these two covers is consummate truth and it really matters whether I'm relevant or whether I give you an application and and by the way I, I, I hope I can add this too the goal is not to stuff you with more knowledge that's not why we study the Bible guys we're trying to discover truth so that we can glorify God in a way that we integrate with reality that's why we're here that's why I'm here I, I I love truth and i I don't know that I live consistently with it, but I love it, and I know it's that thing that helps me um, wrestle through some of the things that I face, and that same thing is true for you i'm sure okay that's why we um that's why we're back um you know gathered again around this book to try and figure out what it says and and um And adjust our lives accordingly. So, let's go back to Romans chapter 8. And here's what I'd like to do as we begin. Um, um, I'd like to uh, just really... I'd like to read the first eight verses because that's what we covered in the entire fall. The first eight verses. And I think I can summarize it for you relatively fast. And then we'll we'll introduce something brand new uh, in verse 9 because Paul does take us off into a different direction. Let me read the first eight verses, though. And maybe some of this will sound a bit familiar. I, I hope it will. Um, uh, we'll see. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God did. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, on account of sin, He condemned sin in the flesh. That the righteous requirement of the law ...might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, and to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then, those who are in the flesh cannot... Please God. Now, those were the eight verses that we covered over um, a semester, I guess you'd call it. And um, let me remind you that the fundamental principle that Paul is trying to uh, convey is the one contained in verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. That's his fundamental premise. He wants us to work from the posture of security, ladies and gentlemen. There is nothing better, nothing better for the Christian than the sense that he is safe. Even though in the midst of his blowing it, even though in the midst of his uh, inconsistencies, he knows that those inconsistencies, uh, though grievous to him uh, and grievous to the Father, are not going to kick him out of the family. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. The rest of these verses uh, through verse verse 8, Paul is trying to give you a description of those who have a rightful claim to that peace. Uh, it's a great assurance, it's a great piece of um, uh, promise, no condemnation. But who has a right to claim that? Who has a, who has a right to, to, to draw deeply from that well and to drink its sweetness? Who is it? And so he describes those people. And you'll notice again and again, they, they don't walk according to the flesh, they walk according to the Spirit. Those people have minds, uh, the people who have no right to this promise are people who have minds that are, uh, that are carnal, that are fixed and, and, and committed to the flesh. Whereas those who do have a right to claim this are, are, have spiritual minds and on and on and on. So he gives you a description, particularly in verses 5 through 8. He compares and contrasts those who should be claiming it and those who have no right to claim it. Claim what? Claim that there's no condemnation kind of for me. Those people are described for you in, with some broad strokes in those first eight verses. That's what those first eight verses are about. Guys, there is no condemnation for you who are in Christ Jesus. Now, those who are in Christ Jesus, what do they look like? Here they are. Now, those who are not in Christ Jesus, they might want to claim this for their own, but it is not theirs. And then he gives you a description of those people as well. That's what they, that's what we discussed in the fall, and now, you, see, you didn't even have to come. i all fall, but... Um, Now we come to verse 9, where Paul takes us off into a little bit of a different direction. Actually, he introduces something here, ladies and gentlemen, that is um, very complex. Um, Let me read you this verse 9. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. Now, again, guys, this is what we're going to look at tonight. And I think we hopefully can cover it in this next 30 minutes. Um, We might have to come back next week, but we'll see. Um, Again, he is describing people who have a right to claim this wonderful promise of verse one. Who does? Well, it's people who are not in the flesh. But in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he's not his. This new thing that Paul has introduced here is this, this, the great role and um, role, I guess, or ministry of the Holy Spirit. Do you see in this text how many titles are given to the Spirit? Look, look at, um, notice, but if you are in, uh, you're not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you, now if the Spirit, uh, the Spirit of Christ. There are three names that are given to the Spirit in that text. He is the Spirit, He is the Spirit of God, and He is the Spirit of Christ. You get a, a, a wonderful text if, you'd, if you're looking for one in terms of defense of the Trinity, because it is there for you. Uh, theologically, the, the Spirit is um, spirated, <laughs> if you like that word, spirated, from the Father and the Son. The Son is begotten of the Father. Uh, but you see this reference to the Trinity here, and the very clear claim of, if you don't have the Spirit, you're not of His. Now guys, that, um, that is the fundamental premise, that is, if you don't have the Spirit, you're not a Christian. Without the Holy Spirit in a man, he is no Christian at all. To be a Christian means that you have the Spirit of Christ. Now, I guess we could pause at that and move on. I'm not going to, but I guess we could to simply broadly tell you if you don't have the Spirit of Christ, you're not a Christian. But guys, here's what I'd like to do uh, tonight, uh, particularly since we have this marvelous little gadget here. Um, uh, this is called a smart board, um, and I promise you, it's uh, smarter than you can ever imagine. Um, but it's, you know, I used to write on that board, and people would complain, "We can't see that over here. We can't see that over there. You don't write enough. You know, all that, on and on." Well, now we 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 have silenced the audience because this thing, I'm going to write on this little thing, and it's going to flash up there. <laughs> Are we on the cutting edge or what around here? Huh? Um, it took me seven days to learn how to use this thing. <laughs> Um, Okay, but guys, uh, here's what I want to do. I am convinced that because uh, I I have to be careful in what I say here, because I I don't want you to get a wrong impression about. Guys, do you know what the neo-Pentecostal movement is? Does that term ring a bell with you? Uh, You would probably be more familiar with the term, the charismatic movement. I'm not an an opponent. I'm not an arch enemy. I'm not a a huge detractor of the charismatic movement, what I call the Neo-Pentecostal movement. Here's my concern. Um... Because of the, there's been some good, great benefits. You remember the Arthur Blessed era and the and the, uh, the, the Pentecostalism that swept the country starting in, oh, I don't know, the uh, early 60s. And, you know, you got all these things that are popping up all over the country. And in, in, in the name, it was just a, it's a big thing, you know. And, I, and, and very frankly, I think restored some life to the church in a lot of places. But another effect of the charismatic movement is, or the neo-Pentecostal movement, is to create a great deal of confusion about the role and ministry of the Holy Spirit in the minds of the people of God. I think that's fair. I, 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 would say, I would say that from the rooftop. Yes, there were some positive benefits that accrued as a result of the emphasis on the Holy Spirit. You know, in my world, in the Presbyterian world, in the old Reformed world, they used to have a little joke if you saw a group of Presbyterians standing together and you wanted to scatter them, all you had to do was walk up and say, Holy Spirit. And they would all run. Because, guys, uh, because of all the emphasis on the Holy Spirit, there was a lot of confusion. There's a lot of confusion. And I tell you, I think there's still a lot of confusion concerning the role and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So, I want to take some time with you. And try to sort a bit of this out with you. Um, and, and, you know, some of this is going to bore, you know, some of you to absolute tears. But, guys, I think it's important that you understand some broad parameters of the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the life of the Christian. I am introduced to this because of what Paul says here in verse 9. If you do not have the Spirit, you are not His. Oh, they had to turn it on. <laughs> I thought it was on. I thought I turned it on down here with this little button, but no. Is it not working? It's working? Okay. <laughs> now, guys, I, this is this is fairly at this moment. For the next five minutes or so, it's going to be fairly academic. I'm just trying to set the stage and introduce you to something, and then we're going to launch off. And I'm telling you, it's... It's spawned by two motives. First of all, the text, verse 9, says this is going to be the the utter line of identity for the believer. He has the Spirit. Now, my other uh, reason for taking this time is because I think, as a result of the Neo-Pentecostal movement, there's a good deal of confusion in the mind of believers about the, the ministry and the role of the Holy Spirit. So, let's take a look at it, you know. Okay, you know, um, next five minutes, pretty seminary-ish. We have a course around here that we call an introduction to systematics. And many of you have taken that course in systematics, and and I love to do it. It's it's great fun. But, you know, I say in that course, um, I'm just going to give you... You know, just the, 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 the guts of uh, systematics. Because I don't give you the whole thing. And, and guys, uh, you know, there's a whole lot more. Trust me. In seminary, we spent um, one semester in your, fresh, in your first year, your freshman year. And then in your senior year, you spend a year going over the same ground. Uh, systematics. In systematic theology, there are seven... ...tog... There. I mean, it's complicated. You've got to punch that button down there. <laughs> there are... Oh, no. See, it's not working. Oh, this is really... Is it working now, Brent? <laughs> You guys have really disappointed me. <laughs> we worked on this all afternoon. I mean, I... ta da 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 yeah. <laughs> All right now can I go now <laughs> Oh now you got to hit the other buttons <laughs> He's coming back <laughs> We'll just forget it <laughs> you, Yeah didn't we buy this from MCC? Does anybody know anybody from MCC around here? <laughs> He's the general man. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Oh, there it is! There it is! All right, now hit the little button. Hit the little button. Now, in systematics, there are. It's still not working. <laughs> yeah, okay, can I go now? All right. There we go. All right. All right, there are 7 divisions. <laughs> You can see that. You just can't read it. (laughs) Of (laughs) systematics. All right. Seven divisions. And when it comes to putting together a system of theology, there are seven um, uh, categories that you have to cover. The first one is called the prolegomena. The prolegomena deals with things like um, ontology. Uh, epistemology, um, uh, creation, uh, inspiration, that kind of thing. That's, the, that's, that's prolegomena. The second division has to do with um, anthropology. And I, I, you probably can figure out what that's all about. That has to do with the study of man, the a right understanding of what, how the Bible describes man and his condition. The third branch has to do with uh, theology, which is discussing God. The Father. Now, guys, one of the things that's sloppy about us, Christ- about us evangelicals is that we use this term, God, uh, very loosely. You can use the term God uh, to refer to the whole Trinity. Or you can use the term God to refer to the first person of the Trinity. So you've got to be careful. For instance, if I prayed on Sunday morning, I thank you, O God, that you died on the cross for me. Who did I refer to? uh, The the term God refers to the first person of the Trinity, and that's called patropassionism. God the Father didn't die on the cross for us. God the Son did. The third category of systematic theology has to do with theology, and that's the study of God the Father. Okay? Not the Trinity. Because the fourth branch of systematics is soteriology. That comes from a Greek word, the soter... Uh, or Savior. So the fourth branch of, of, um, of um, uh, systematics has to do with God the Son. The fifth branch, um, pneumatology. Now everybody knows what that is, don't you? Pneumatology? You know the Greek word pneuma, which is translated spirit. You know what a pneumatic tool is? This is the study of God the Holy Spirit, pneumatology. The other two, which aren't that, well, they are important too, is ecclesiology, which is the study of the church, and the seventh is eschatology, which is the study of last things. I do all of this, and that's the end of the boredom, because this is where we're going. We're going to talk about some pneumatology. The role and work and ministry of the Holy Spirit of God. Because if you do not have the Spirit, you're not a part of Him. Now, watch this. You punch that button. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You know, just just you know, we thought we were a bunch of didn't know what we were doing kind of guys. But... Uh... <laughs> This is a fine tool. (laughs) Watch this. Okay. Oh, this is ridiculous! <laughs> okay, there we go. Oh yeah, there we go. <laughs> this should add about 30 minutes a week to our uh, our study. <laughs> okay, yeah, there we go. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Brent, for buying me this baby, because man, I really love this. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Will it get better next week, I hope? Uh, all right, all right. So we're studying pneumatology. The, the, the role of the Holy Spirit in the life of the Christian. Now, guys, we could talk about this for hours. Hours. Trust me. But what I want to do is, is, is discuss his ministry under three broad headings. Um, the one, of course, these are, these are familiar terms. That dog. Dog. I forgot to hit the button. Oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> you're good, you're good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. MCC called today and asked if I'd do a demo for them around the city. <laughs> <Really>? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, he's good, anyway. he, boy? I love technology. You know, you've seen my palm Pilot, haven't you? It's a desk calendar about that, but... <laughs> Okay, um, three terms that we can use to summarize, and that's all we're doing, is summarizing the, the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The one is regeneration. Now, guys, very honestly, what you have in Romans uh, 8 and 9 is a reference to his regenerative work. That is the, the the term that is so familiar, the one that I think you know is being born again, the rebirth. That is a, the, the, the theological term is regeneration. You have come from the posture of deadness and you have been regenerated by the by the Holy Spirit. I tell you what, while you got your Bibles there, I'm a whole lot more comfortable with this book than that board. But turn with me to to Romans six, just one chapter over, a couple. Of, we, we looked at this, but in, in Romans 6.3, Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ? Do you see that? What is that referring to? That is this role of the Holy Spirit in regeneration when He takes you out of the realm and status and position and posture of flesh and transfers you into... Christ. That's what this baptized. Now, guys, you know that you have been confused by that term, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Have you got the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Huh? Now, let me tell you again, I applaud and I appreciate the the, the, the positive impact the neo-Pentecostal movement has made. But at that point, ladies and gentlemen, it has done nothing but sow seeds of confusion among the people of God. Baptized in the Spirit. What is that? Did you or did you not speak in tongues? I want you to know, ladies and gentlemen, that, that is speaking has nothing to do with this. And it has nothing to do with Romans 6.3. And it has nothing to do with Romans 8.9. Because the role of the Holy Spirit is to take dead people and bring them to life and plant them. Plant them. Into Christ. Gang, if I have a message in life, here it is. Union with Christ. The only way that you know that you're safe is because you are in union. How did you get there? The Holy Spirit baptized you into Christ that's what regeneration is. And that's the role and purpose. Now, have you been baptized in the Spirit? If you're a Christian, you have. Absolutely you have. <laughs> All Christians. Paul, every Christian has been baptized in the Spirit. Th- that baptism of the Spirit is that initial work of the Holy Spirit that brings you out of a kingdom of darkness and plants you in a kingdom of light by putting you in Christ. That's what baptism is. Okay? Now, Before we move to the second one, and I'm not not sure we're going to have a whole lot of time, I want to show you something that's, I I think, at least um, somewhat associated with this. Turn to the Gospel of John with me, and I want to show you several texts. Because, again, I'm trying to clear up whatever confusion might exist in your minds about pneumatology. The study of the Spirit's work. Okay, um let's look at several passages. Let's start let's start in uh let's see here. <clears throat> um, let's start in chapter fifteen. John fifteen uh twenty-six. Now guys, if you want to know if you want to be able to summarize in general in broad strokes the role and, and ministry of the Holy Spirit, here we go. Are you ready? John 15 uh, verse 26But when the helper comes whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. You see that. Now look on down in chapter 16, verse 14. He who's the he, it is a reference to the spirit. John 16:14 is a reference to the Spirit. When He comes, He will glorify Me, for He will take of what is Mine and declare it to you. Now guys, the the reason I introduce you to to that at this moment is to say this. In broad strokes, the, the role and purpose of the Holy Spirit is to bring glory to the Son. Anytime you find something that is attributed to the Holy Spirit that brings glory to the Holy Spirit, you know you're off balance. Because the role of the Holy Spirit is to glorify the Son. I love this illustration. I don't know where I got it. But um, it's like this. The Holy... Um, do I have to punch it again? Uh, okay. It's like the Holy Spirit loves to be meek. And so he hides and points to Christ. That's what he does. His role is to point you to Christ. He will testify of me. He will glorify me. In broad strokes, you want to know what the Holy Spirit's role is? He glorifies the Son. That's it. So when your eyes and your focus is taken off of the sun and placed on something else, whether it be a preacher or whether it be uh, some gift, some manifestation of the ecstatic. Oh, you, you're off you're base. I mean you're, all, I mean, you're out of balance here because He has come, says the Lord Jesus, He's come to glorify me. That's going to be the end result of what He does. He's going to give glory to me. He has, he has taken up residence within the hearts of man and in this god-awful planet of ours so that He can bring glory to the Son. And He does it in numerous ways. The first way He does it is, is in this act and this role of regeneration. Where He takes dead people like us who love our sin. Do you remember? <laughs> do you remember back then? I mean, I do. I, don't, I came to know Christ at age 22. So I still remember. Do you remember those days when certain things were important to you? And all of, it, not all of a sudden, but over time, now you look back and you think, who was that man? I mean, who, who was that 22-year-old that was walking up and down the streets of Atlanta looking for a bar to go get drunk? Who was he? I don't, know, I don't know who that was. Who was it that somehow worked in my soul that I saw how lost I was and how much in need of a Savior I was? Well, that was the Spirit. And at a certain juncture in my life, at a certain moment in time, He granted me, sovereignly granted me, some eyes to see things that I had never seen before. And the end result of that is that I landed in Christ. I got baptized by the Spirit. And you know what? There wasn't one tongue that I spoke in. Not a one. But I'm baptized in the Spirit, and I'm telling you, if you're a Christian tonight, so are you. You must not, you must not confuse that initial work of the, of the Spirit with the other works that He does. And there, there are some wonderful things that we'll have to talk about next week. But gang, the first thing that the Spirit does is... Drag you I should use that word. He plants takes you out of your sin and lands you in Jesus. And that's why you're safe. And while you're there, you know what you're going to do? Some pretty god-awful, stupid things. That doesn't change the fact that there is no condemnation for you. Does it produce consequences? Does it produce grief? Does it produce pain and sorrow? And Yes, yes, yes. But it doesn't change the fact that I'm in Christ. The Holy Spirit saw to it. And he saw to it in this work that we call... You call it what you want. Well, no, no, that's not true. Call it, call it rebirth. Call it being born again. But call it being born from above. Call it regeneration. But don't associate any of that with some kind of ecstatic utterance that you may have later on. I wonder about that. But, I mean, I, I don't deny that. I'm a, but don't confuse that with this. Because this, ladies and gentlemen... Is the great way that the Holy Spirit accomplishes his very purpose, that being to bring glory to the Son. If you don't have that, you're 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 no part of him. That's what it means to live in the Spirit. Not that I moment. Well, actually, I wish I did, but I, you know, not that, that I am moment, but but I am in. It's not describing some ethereal, romanticized, emotionalized uh, life of hyperpiety. It's describing an event, a saving event, when the Holy Spirit of God came and got me baptized me into Christ. And there I reside from this point and forevermore, just like you. Worried about where you're going to spend eternity? Not if you're baptized by the Holy Spirit, you're not. Because you couldn't get out of there if you wanted to. But nobody wants to leave the Savior. He's too dang beautiful. We'll come back and look at the rest next week. Our Father, I do pray that um, certain things might begin to sort out for some of your people and that they can take great pleasure in, in discovering something enjoyable and refreshing about the work of God in their lives. But, Father, we know that lies hurt us and truth heals us. And so I pray that these dear people will have their ears shut to any lie that is spoken from behind this podium. But what is spoken that is true, might it sink down the cracks and the crevices of their soul, making us all healthier. Making us all uh, not more knowledgeable, but more conformed to the image of Christ Jesus the Lord. Holy Spirit of God, glorify the Son in us. Dominate us. Control us. Inebriate us. So that the Son will get glory from our lives. We ask it, of course, in the name of Christ Jesus the Lord. Amen.